Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Football and calendar is as crowded as, as ever returning, of course, from the FIFA World Cup. The Wellington Phoenix are back in the men's A-League and making a real push for a spot in the playoffs while the women's side struggle to find their feet. Been a tough old season for them. Meanwhile, in English football, the FA Cup remains top of the mind with three around, round three replays happening this week, including Liverpool taking on Wolves again. Plus, the EPL is back in full swing. And, of course, don't forget the little matter of the Women's World Cup coming up later this year between uh, New Zealand and Australia. We're hosting it. And that means that uh, we're going to have a lot of uh, talented uh, women footballers here, including the U.S. women's national team, uh, this week. So uh, let's uh, catch up with uh, what's going on in the football world, shall we, with uh, Jacob Spoonley, of course, former All-Whites goalkeeper and Sky Sport football analyst. Uh, Good morning to you, Jacob. Let's keep it custodian, shall we? Uh, what a season Ollie Sale has been uh, having of late. Uh, what has been his secret to success in goal? Because uh, I was actually doing a game of cricket. Next door, he was saving penalties for Africa in a, in a stadium right next door in Sydney. Good morning, Smitty. Great to have you back, mate. I think we can all put Ollie's uh, current success down to um, a period in his formative, um, uh, sorry, formative period in his goalkeeping upbringing where he was the understudy to a Jacob Stanley at Century United. So I think all success really does stem from there, Smitty. As you can appreciate, you've got to hand these sorts of things down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Always the most important person on the team. There's no doubt about that. Um, look, that's why we come to you every time. Uh, but in all honesty, in all honesty, mate, uh, it's it's trending well, very, very, very well indeed. It is, and this has been um, a wee while in the making. It seems to be a yearly occurrence with Ufa Tully that we go through a stage where he has to bed in new players, uh, either returning Kiwis or Australians that have been brought into the mix, and then some imports. And then once we get through in a seven or eight game period, they seem to go on a bit of a tear where they do start making their way up through the table. And we've kind of seen that since they've come back from the World Cup. Yes, there was um, a stumble against Melbourne City, albeit that someone came against the team at the top of the table. And then since uh, then, we've seen them come away with two very important 1-0 wins away from home and two clean sheets. So no goals conceded over the course of 180 minutes. And we've been chirping on for a while about how strong they look with the ball, how fluid the football has been at times, but there has been this trapdoor, which has been their defence. And they seem to have cured that. And to your point, Ollie seems to have been um, the player that's really helped get them those clean sheets. I would say it's been a unit um, that has settled in. And the clean sheets have coincided with the return of Alex Roof, the club captain. And when you put in place a spine that starts at Ollie, extends through Tim Payne, and then finishes with this disruptive, controlled, settled influence that Roof brings in the midfield, you're starting to see the foundation of this Phoenix team going forward. And that, to me, has been the unsung part of these two pretty impressive 
performances away, and we now have them playing Central Coast at third versus fourth this weekend as well. Okay, so we're approaching um, uh, the halfway point in the, the A-League season. Gosh, it's flown by, but um, on, on the basis of what you've just said, uh, you, you seem fairly confident that uh, Ufuk Talay has the right players uh, to take them through to the pointy end of the season and the playoffs. I think I think that's exactly right. I don't think we're talking about a team that's, that should have ambitions of just making the top six and being happy to compete with the Australian teams. I think we're talking about a side that should put itself in the picture as being the black horse. This team, and I've said this at the start of the season, should be aiming for top four. So they're up against teams that can spend more. They're up against teams that have a much more storied history when it comes to not only competing but going deep into the playoffs. The Phoenix don't have that, and they don't have it under Tale, but they've built this side, this squad, more importantly, because we've seen depth this year that can compete with anyone on their day. Although they lost 3-1 to Melbourne City, who are the team that is going to run away with the title this year, I believe, um, we did see them compete. We did see them be ambitious. We did see them go out and confidently attack Melbourne City um, for large chunks of the game. They were second best, but that should give them a milestone to then progress forward from. And we've also seen them being able to compete with the likes of Western Sydney, where they picked up a point. Central Coast Mariners, where they've also picked up a point. They've beaten Adelaide and MacArthur, who are the teams that are hovering around that top six. So they've got the ability to not only um, see teams eye-to-eye, but also knock them down. Um, And that's why this game this weekend, I think, is so important. It's a home match. It's against another top-four side. uh, And it's a chance for the Phoenix to really start rubber-stamping this claim for the top four. Jacob Spoonley, uh, ben, I've spent a bit of time uh, in Australia of late um, and there's a little bit of um, conjecture, I guess, as to the underperforming sides over there, sides like Sydney FC and the Melbourne Victory. What's what's happened there? I think Sydney FC, they need a refresher and Steve Corica obviously has had wonderful success taking over the reins after Graham Arnold left the Socceroos. He took the side forward um, evolved on some other set of principles, um, tweaked them slightly, but they've relied on a number of senior players um, and they've really aged as a collective um, over the course of Corica's last couple of seasons. We have seen them bring in some new faces this year. They've tried to combine those with some academy products. It simply isn't working and the Corica is now under massive pressure. I went on Simon Hill and Alex Brock's SEM show, um, so your colleagues on the other side of the been, and the lead-in chat was all about when, potentially, if not if, uh, Corica would be around. So he needs to get things up and running. Um, I think he's got a CEO in the background that is looking to put his fingerprints on the squad, and that might mean that he gets to bring in a coach um, to take the team forward. So Adam Santos has taken... Uh, the job from Danny Townsend, uh, who's obviously stepped up into the APL management. And I think Adam Santos, a new stadium, he's got some new signings. He potentially might be looking at a new coach. Let's talk uh, a women's Phoenix if we can and uh, winless after eight matches, which is, is disappointing because after last season we had some relatively high hopes, uh, particularly with the ability to play matches at home, uh, Jacob. Uh, and even yesterday going down uh, 2-0, conceding two very early goals to the Perth Glory, and having a player in Eamon Ralston uh, sent off, which is pretty rare in women's football. It is, and I think 
we can all rightly um, be frustrated with what occurred uh, in the ALW this year for the Wellington Phoenix. Um, they lost their coach uh, late doors, so um, Jim and Lewis uh, left to go back to Wales. Um, she was offered a wonderful position over there. Um, that didn't mean wholesale changes, though, as Natalie was able to step up into um, the role she became the head coach. Uh, as you said, Smitty, they were able to bring in some very senior ferns. Those ferns should have helped elevate the team from where we saw them last year, where at the end of the season, they did start picking up points. They were putting in some really competent performances and competing rather well with the much more seasoned Australian opposition. Uh, that simply has not uh, transferred into good performances this year. And I don't think it's... The frustrating part isn't the results, although if you look at what has occurred, uh, we've played nine games now, we've had one draw, so only accumulated one point over the course of those nine games, um, conceded 17 goals and only scored three, so that's not pretty reading at all. Um, it's the how they've gone about um, playing the matches. We haven't seen much in a way of regular chances, uh, and then there has been a looseness to their play. They've encouraged pressure at times by being sloppy in possession, particularly playing out from the back. So a lot of this has been self-inflicted, um, and I think it's the management of the matches that really does need to improve. Um, in relation to the sending off last night, it looked like Emma Ralston was by and large provoked, but that we have had suggestions that this, uh, this team hasn't come together necessarily uh, as quickly as expected. Um, I think that probably the, the thing that needs to be dealt with um, first and foremost is making sure that this is a cohesive unit um, because they are one that's going to be expected to go out and um, I think return results, which you wouldn't otherwise expect, the expected results this season, I don't think you'd say the fans were looking to pick up much, but they haven't really got to that threshold yet either. Right, let's uh, turn to uh, the EPL if we can, uh, Jacob, because there's plenty going on there, of course, including some drama in the Manchester derby. Uh, City fuming over United's uh, equaliser. Some suggestion that Marcus Rashford had interfered in the play. What did you make of that? <laughs> uh, it's brilliant watching the Manchester United. Uh, not the Manchester United, United and City uh, cannibalise each other. Um, I can't really talk to being a Liverpool fan, but... Um, what we're talking about is Marcus Rashford making a run. He's clearly offside. Uh, he doesn't ever get more than three or four yards away from the ball, just outside the 18-yard box. He looks like he's about to strike it. So the Manchester City players are largely playing him. They're trying to contain and minimise any sort of risk that he poses. And then right at the last, uh, Bruno Fernandes screams through, puts it in the back of the net. And... Uh, on review, it is decided that Marcus Rashford doesn't have any influence over anything, including the balls or Manchester City defenders or Edison and goal. And it's all fine because Bruno Fernandes is the only player that touched the ball. Absolutely, 1,000%, unequivocally, this is offside to me. There is, there is no way this can be considered onside. And for me, it's a reflection of those that write the rules, uh, that influence our game, often don't understand the nuance or the detail. And the referees, they had to make the decision based on the rule. It's a stupid rule. And unfortunately, it's cost Manchester City um, the opportunity to point at Old Trafford. Right, let's look at um, the aforementioned uh, Liverpool. Struggling a wee bit of late. I've noticed your ninth um, on the table at this point. 
with a couple of games in hand on uh, the play- teams that have played 20. But by and large, you are trailing the pack and you're struggling too uh, to get past Wolves. What's got to happen here? It's horrible, Smithy. It, it truly is. Uh, the game against Brighton on the weekend where Liverpool went down 3-0 was the worst match of Jurgen Klopp's tenure, in my opinion. It was a, a really hard watch. They were so poor defensively. They do not look anywhere near cohesive or even explosive as you'd expect them to be under Klopp in the midfield. And then there was a potency up top that has never existed under Klopp's reign. So this was the lowest point. And you're right, it's costing them in terms of their position on the Premier League table. Um, they're struggling and causing themselves even more grief by creating more games and having to go and play Wolves in an FA Cup replay. But the big thing for me, Smitty, is this could potentially be impacting their recruitment, not only in the January window, but also at the end of the year. And when we talk about recruitment, there is one player that we are talking about with Liverpool. It's been obvious the players themselves have been recruited and while they've been in the England camp, um, they've made noise about how they want to go and invest in a superstar to elevate them to the next uh, stage. They've got to compete with the likes of Manchester City who go out and buy Haaland. And that player is, of course, Jude Bellingham. And apparently it's one of two options for Bellingham at the moment. It's either Liverpool or Real Madrid. And after the performances over the last month, I would say that Liverpool are a distant second to Real Madrid at the moment. And it's going to need to be a miracle to secure Jude Bellingham's signature, who I think is going to be a superstar over the next 10 to 12 years. So Klopp needs to get it together. He needs to, um, I think, rule with a bit of an iron fist over the next couple of weeks. And he needs to back the players that are going to get in performances because this could either be a blip in the season in which they really make a, a case to run down uh, Champions League spot or this could see the complete unbundling uh, of Liverpool, which is what we saw at Borussia Dortmund at the end of Klopp's tenure. Um, just finally, uh, Jacob, uh, we're mentioning women's football before in terms of uh, the women's Phoenix, of course, but uh, the United States women's team come here, the highest profile, I think, uh, over the years, women's football team in the world. Uh, they've got match, uh, the first match Wednesday at Sky Stadium, but uh, it doesn't look like uh, the football fans coach, uh, Jim Clover, is, um, has named a very, very strong squad. Is, th- is that a worry for you? Is there a possibility of some blowouts here which won't do women's football in this country a favour? I think when we're looking at this, and just to explain it for your listeners, so these two matches have been organised outside of FIFA's international window, and what that really means is that um, New Zealand football cannot call upon the players that have club football at the moment in England and Scotland and in Australia. Um, So what they've had to do is basically rely on who's available, who they can get releases from club football for, and then also call upon some local players Um, with our National League not currently playing. And that has meant that we have had to put together some players that haven't played international football before up against um, the perennial favourites in the US women's national team. They have won gold medals at the Olympics, they've won gold medals at the World Cup, um, and they've brought down a very strong team. So that's wonderful for our footballing public. But you're right, it does pose a bit of a question. There'll be some anxiety about what happens on the field. And... 
there is potential for it to impact the brand leading into the World Cup as well. Um, in terms of the players that we can see on the pitch, there's the likes of Becky Sarabon, who's been a wonderful servant for the US national women's team. Um, we've got Trinity uh, Rodman, who is Dennis Rodman's daughter. She is electric down the wing. Uh, and then Alex Morgan, um, just a goal-scoring machine for the US uh, up top, and she'll be leading the line. Um, so uh, it's going to be wonderful to see uh, those players on our turf. Um, you have a question about how it will go, but there's also, I think, um, an ability for us to potentially bring to life some players that could play professional football, and that's potentially something that the Vans are looking at next year. If we're not getting uh, results out of our players at the moment, other alternatives and the likes of Taylor O'Brien and Devin Jackson and Rebecca Lake who play for Eastern Suburbs and um, Canterbury United, they might do well in these games and they could stand up and say, hey, I'm deserving of professional football, which is what we will hope to see. But positively, Smithy, what we are hearing is that both games at Sky Stadium and up at Eden Park, um, there will be strong crowds. So this speaks to the level of interest in not only women's football in this country, but also um, the World Cup, which we've got starting to bear down us like a wave. And it's fantastic to be able to talk about that uh, in 2023. Jacob Spoonley, always great to catch up with you, and we'll do it again very shortly. Thanks, mate. All the best. Lovely. Cheers, mate.